Hey guys, and welcome to episode 34 of Underrated, a podcast where we talk about films we believe are underrated, generally disliked, or simply forgotten. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How are things, man? Good. I just took my last finals yesterday, and I'm a free man for a summer now. And Nice. And I'm going to be just watching lots of movies and doing nothing, really. And that's going to be my summer, and I'm really looking forward to it. That sounds amazing. And uh, so today, to celebrate the release of Guy Ritchie's latest film, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, we're kind of getting nostalgic about a time when he made good movies. Um, so we're going back to his last film in 2015, The Man from Uncle. And I'm, I'm kind of sorry about that uh, jab. I, I haven't actually seen the movie, and I probably will tomorrow. <laughs> I'm holding out for it. Yeah, I, I, I've been actually hearing a lot of like good solitary reviews here and there, so I'm, I'm also hoping it's good, because I... I Definitely rooting for Richie. I'm just worried what's going to happen to him if this doesn't work. Like, if, if, if this is really like a big box office uh, bust and doesn't make hardly anything. Yeah, I mean, given that Man from Uncle also was considered a bomb. Yeah. Although, maybe it'll get him back to doing smaller, more focused films, which I wouldn't mind. All right, uh, so before we move on, I'd like to ask you guys, if you enjoy this podcast, to please take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes. That would really be awesome. And uh, before we get into the main review, uh, have you seen any cool movies lately that you want to mention? And I feel like I, I've seen a lot since we actually recorded a main episode. Um, I haven't really kept track. I know uh, for my birthday, I was given the Tarantino collection. And so we've decided to go through them in release order. And we only watched Reservoir Dogs so far. Uh, it's my second time seeing it. And that movie is just fantastic. The acting feels so like real. It, it's it's different from a lot of his uh, other movies, and obviously it's a lot more scaled back, you know, stylistically and in terms of like the the movie itself. But it is still holds up really well. It's hard to think that it's like twenty five years old now. Yeah, I recently saw that for the first time, and it really really uh, blew me away. Um, and then I guess what is most recently is yesterday, um, in preparation for Blade Runner twenty forty nine, we went back and watched the original one again, and it's it's weird i have to i feel like i have to really know the the movie tastes of somebody before i recommend that because it's really odd and it's a it's really a slow burner but i like it a lot just because of the uh the aesthetics of the movie its tone it's like its portrayal of the future is really like bled into almost everybody else's like idea of the sci-fi futuristic dystopian uh, world and I don't know. There, there's something to me. I I really really enjoy like this kind of neo noir feel of the movie, but it it's not for everybody. Do, do you have a, a version that's your favorite, or do you just watch the theatrical? Um, I well, there, so without get there's. I mean, I know it it was made in the '80s, but there is like a a point that can be spoiled. But it, the film, the, the theatrical cut and the final cut are different from each other in a, in one major way, even though it's only a scene. And I I prefer the final cut. I prefer what it adds. Um, the final cut is essentially the same as the director's cut, but the final cut, it it just cleans up some of the effects. And So is that like a, a third version? Oh, there's like seven versions, I feel like. They re-release it, what it feels like, every five years. But uh, the final, the most recent one, the f I, I believe it is the final cut, and hopefully that's the last one. Uh, that's the one that I prefer. All right. Uh, so I was uh, wanting to catch up on the, some of the last few Guy Ritchie films that I haven't seen, so I rented Revolver. Um, and it has uh, all of the elements that he's famous for, you know, the uh, nonlinear storytelling, the quick edits, lots of flashbacks, and very, like, showy dialogue. Uh, but it's... It's so just boring and completely incomprehensible. As best I can tell, it's like a uh, the whole thing is this like deep psychological exercise with lots of existential dialogue and psychobabble. It's just it's really odd, and I still have no idea exactly what it's about. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if any of it is actually real or so happening in somebody's head. It's just I don't, I don't get it, and 
it has some really fantastic cinematography. Some of the coolest looking chess games, basically mm-hmm. until uh, Richie's uh, Sherlock Holmes: A Game of Shadows. But um, it looks great, but it just it's just really frustrating and confusing. I, I don't think it really adds up to much. Hmm. It's it's weird it's stuff with like a lot of depth. That it kind of sounds different from a, a typical uh, Richie movie. I may I may check it. Mm-hmm. I do I do like if I if I do enjoy a director I like seeing their entire filmography so I'll probably end up checking that out later. But it's weird. I've I've heard nothing about it until you mentioned it. Yeah, no one talks about it. And I was actually recently like yesterday listening to an uh, interview with Guy Ritchie, and he he was talking about all this philosophical psychological stuff. So I'm I'm thinking this is probably like his inception or kind of the film that he's always wanted to make. Uh, but yeah, I I just don't think it it comes together in any kind of meaningful way. It's just really, really uh frustrating. And I also saw the Robert De Niro crime film Ronin, and I was also kind of disappointed by this one. It starts out really well. It kind of just drops us into this situation with these characters. There's a bunch of criminals gathering together to set up a heist, and it it kind of drops you with limited information. You just kind of got to guess and find out what's going on through dialogue and how they act. But then about the halfway point, you realize it actually doesn't tend to give you any information ever or any answers. And after that halfway point, the entire film is just a series of twists, betrayals, and just upsets. Just every It seems like every 10 minutes, something crazy happened. Someone betrayed someone. And it, 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 it doesn't work because we have no information on what the thing is they want, who wants it, why they want it, and really who these characters are as people. So it just gets really frustrating and and kind of dull, and it has some fantastic car chases. Like the two like car chases that are completely incredible, with just how they're filmed and how just expansive they are, and a couple of decent gunfights. But there, and another thing that really turned me off from this film is there's a lot of collateral damage. Like every action scene, they make sure we see innocent bystanders being gunned down or just smashed into the wall during car chases or and it's just it's for a film that already didn't have a lot of weight i mean if you want to show that you got to have some kind of meaning to it and when you just kind of flippantly every action scene show them killing several innocent people it it just it's just really repulsive i think and so between that and the whole plot that's just really confusing. And then when it ends, we still have no answers. We don't know what they were what they were after, and we don't even know who these people are, or who their allegiances were, allegiances were for. It's just really frustrating for a film that has absolutely no depth, and all it has is a bunch of twists. You got to have some decent answers, and so it just—I don't think it, it never really comes together. Aside from the really cool action scenes. I feel like there's there's a bunch of action movies around that time period that I, I should have seen by now or by now and I haven't. That's that's one of them. I I know very little about it. There's not a lot to know actually. <laughs> when I when I posted that in the online forum, everyone just said, "But the car chases, like yeah, they're good, but they're not into the whole film." And that that's basically what it's known for. It's pretty famous for its car chases, but I don't I don't think it's very good otherwise. All right, is there anything else you want to mention before the main review? Uh, I think I'm good. All right, let's move into our review for The Man from Uncle. The Man from Uncle was released in 2015. It was directed by Guy Ritchie on a budget of 75 million. It only grossed 109 million, so once you count marketing, it lost a good bit of money. It stars Henry Cavill, Army Hammer, Alicia Vikander, Elizabeth Debicki, Jared Harris, and Hugh Grant. It was written by Guy Ritchie and Lionel Wiggum, and it was shot by John Matheson, and the incredible score was composed by uh, Daniel Pemberton. And I'm going to get you to read a brief synopsis, James. In the early 1960s, CIA agent Napoleon Solo and KGB operative Ilya Kuryakin participate in a joint mission against a mysterious criminal organization which is working to proliferate nuclear weapons. And that name, Napoleon Solo, tells you everything you need to know about how awesome this movie is. He's he's one of my favorite, like, just not a whole lot of depth, but just he's one of the most fun 
action characters to ever watch. <laughs> I, I, and the way Cavill plays him, I love him as Superman, but I want to see him in more parts like this too because I, he's he knows what he's doing when he gets characters like these. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny. His character is basically what Army Hammer plays in uh, Free Fire. It's it's kind of funny they they got Army Hammer to play a much darker, more serious role, but uh, there's both of them are so incredibly charismatic. Um, so I've I've since I last rewatched it, I've just spent the entire week trying to figure out what happened to the world's critics on the morning they saw this movie. Like, did their all, dogs all die, or did Guy Ritchie like insult their mothers or something? I I really don't understand the critical reaction. It it's weird to me. It- it seems like there's almost just this desire to not enjoy movies that are content with just being fun action movies. Just solid from start to finish with the like obviously the cast is great, but I'm with you. I I really don't understand what it was that people saw in this cuz it has a 67 on Rotten Tomatoes, but to me it's crazy to even think that 33 out of 100 people found enough in this movie to actually give it a negative review and I, I, just, I don't know I just don't understand that and even all the positive reviews feel like they have to say yeah there's not a lot to it it's not great but it's okay kind of fun it's fun I, I think it might have something to do with uh, Kingsman the Secret Service coming out earlier that year people like comparing this one directly to that and maybe I, I, I have a feeling if it came out th- like this summer it would be praised a lot more because Fun action, like just just fun, unpretentious action movies are kind of the cool thing now. Maybe people were still high off Skyfall and the more serious spy films or something. I just don't get it. Yeah, it's a shame. It seems like Guy Ritchie just can't catch a break. He's got all of these movies that I'm sure he wants <laughs> to make a next installment in. But yeah, I would pay a lot of good money oh, for I a sequel to this one. So enjoyable. Like it's such a fun way to just spend an afternoon. Yeah. All right, and up. Uh, just so you know, we will be spoiling this film. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. I mean, you will not regret it. All right. So as we said, this film doesn't have a lot of substance. I mean, this is, I think, the poster boy for a style over substance. But when the style is this self-assured and just cool, I think it it, it doesn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> just from the very opening credits where it starts out with that up, uh, the uh, Roberta Flack song compared to what over kind of news clippings of Cold War era. It just completely sinks you into the time period. It tells you everything you need to know about the world these characters are stepping into. It's like very uh, effective and um, it's just very effective storytelling. And I think Richie uses that very well throughout. There's very little uh, exposition. It just very quickly gets you into situations, tells you everything you need to know, and just moves on with the fun. There's, it never gets bogged down in just needless, needless drama or angst or just or kind of or tr- even it doesn't even try to build suspense all that much. It just kind of allows you to exist in this world with these wonderful characters and allow situations to play themselves out. And I really appreciate that. I mean, not every spy film has to ha- have the end of the world uh, like imminent. Yeah, it's where it's not like the plot isn't simplistic to the point to where it's you know this is the bad guy just go get him but it's not it's like you said it's not getting bogged down in like the political um ideas behind everybody it's 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 not that kind of movie it tells you this is the bad guy and this is why this is what he's doing these are the guys who are trying to get him now have fun watching it the way uh the exposition exposition is given in this movie it's given in the way that it's probably not going to in real life, but it feels consistent with like the 60s spy thrillers. And the whole movie just feels like an homage to that. Yeah, I'm I'm not really at, at all familiar with that whole time period of especially spy filmmaking. So for me, this whole film is just a wonderful introduction to that sense of style and just the self-assured nature with, with these characters parade about. And just a sense of fun that doesn't care about anything. It's just, it's just going to do, it's going to do its thing. It's going to be awesome. And you're going to have fun. And I I love just how classy the movie is. It's kind of funny. The movie like Kingsman was constantly having all these monologues about how 
about an older, more civilized time when people were cool and man and guys dressed up and everything. But this film, it doesn't need that. It just is. Yeah, cool. If you if you have to tell the audience that, then you know maybe you're not doing it right. Maybe modern people are so uncool they they missed it or something. So one of the first things that I do really want to focus on is what I do like to me what I consider the best aspect of this movie, which is the cast. Um, and I mean not not even just from the our, our main leads, but even you know the side characters who show up like Hugh Laurie. Jared Harris and uh, Elizabeth Debicki is to me. It, they all seem like they're having so much fun in these roles. Like every actor in this is such a welcome presence in the movie because it's nobody feels like a filler character. Everybody seems to completely enjoy the kind of character they're playing, and they add to the the, the personality that the movie itself has. Yeah, just just going into the leads. Um, I think. This is the character that people wanted Henry Cavill to play as Superman. I mean, this is obviously proof that he is a deeply charismatic actor. I mean, I knew that from watching uh, the Superman films. I think just people didn't expect him to play a quiet introvert. They expected, since Superman has always been an extrovert, but that's a different film. (laughs) About this one, it's just the sense of just self-confidence and swagger he brings to every scene he's in. And... His American accent is is really perfect. He he and he has this, just this deep, rich voice, and he brings this kind of a slightly perplexed, deadpan uh, to everything. He's, he's like when something crazy happens, he just kind of cocks one eyebrow and looks at it. Like somehow that just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. I think that's my favorite line of the movie. Seriously, he makes the every single nothing line so funny and it's partially due to how richie directs it but just the it's also his chemistry with army hammer and army hammer is doing this incredibly thick russian accent but he completely nails it yeah with with cavill i think it's it's crazy to think that he's he's giving such deadpan not not quite monotone but such almost reserved in his in the tone of his voice but he ends up delivering all of these lines with all that being said in such charismatic ways where he's just He's full of so much like confidence and cockiness, and he's just a really, really fun character to watch on screen. And uh, and uh, Army Hammer does the exact same way with that thick Russian accent, where every line, not if you're fat, like he just has all of these, all of these great one-liners, and he never lets this thick accent or do, like. He never gets, lets anything like that get in the way of the, the comedic element of what's written. And uh, and also it just helps because I think the two actors do have great chemistry with each other. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I remember last episode we mentioned that uh, Army Hammer probably is the most one of the most charismatic actors, and I think we have to uh, add uh, Henry Cavill to that list. And it's it's great just how much charisma he's able to maintain even when he's he's playing this like incredibly angry character who's just like seething with this just burning rage in every scene and also having the thick accent and being such a serious character. And yet he is still oozing charisma. It's, it's crazy. They're, they're so talented. And I, I cannot reading a lot of these reviews, the acting was criticized. People said like the leads were dull and completely uninteresting. I mean, I can't, I don't even know what to think. How, how can someone watch this movie and say that? I, honestly, it's, I know we try to address some of the negative criticisms, but I don't even I don't even know where to begin with that because it's just it's just a, a complete disagreement. Like there, I, there's no argument I can make, but to me, watching that, I cannot imagine seeing that and imagine what's going through someone's head to lead them to to not enjoy these performances because they're so likable and they're so funny, and to me, they're incredibly interesting and compelling characters. Like they're. They're the ones leading us through the whole plot of the movie. And if I, if I never get unter- uninterested in the movie, which I didn't, that's because I, I care about the characters that I'm watching it with. And I, I just think both actors knew exactly the kind of take they wanted, and they, they committed to that kind of role, and they both nailed it. They just they fit so perfectly into the tone that Guy Ritchie's created. As we said, the tone, it's, it gets serious occasionally, but it never really has to. And 
in spite of that, we there's still a sense of danger when, when it, there needs to be, even though there always there's always some kind of joke or visual gag being made. Just the amount of style oozing out of every frame, just and just the cinematography alone, even without all of his crazy editing and the score, is really gorgeous. Yeah, t- talking about the tone, what I love about this movie is just that it's never confused about what it wants to be. It knows exactly the kind of film it is, and it the movie, like its characters, just carries with it the sense of confidence and swagger and style. And it has such a great, like, unique personality. Um, and it, it, to me, it's just, it's a testament to Richie's directing. And I think Richie's consistently an underrated director um, because I think that this is one of his best films and it has a 67. But yeah, just um, every scene just feels so competently directed. Um and and not not even just from like an objective standpoint, but he directs them and then he he puts them into the movie and injects his his own style and the movie's tone and he the way he uses the actors to help establish the tone of the movie. It's just everything comes together to make such a cohesive a cohesive movie that's that knows exactly what it is and what it's trying to be. Yeah, and just going back to the cast. Alicia Vikander, she could have so easily just gotten lost between these two incredible liter- literal giants, but also figurative, just like giant, gigantic personalities and screen presence. She, of the three, is the quote-unquote serious character, kind of the straight man to them, but she still manages to kind of shine and hold her own in, in between them. And I'm, I'm quite happy they didn't turn this into like an awkward love triangle, which would have been rather irritating. It would have been what most movies would have done with this, the situation the characters are put in. And I, I like that she doesn't immediately like fall into a, this ravishing romance with Army Hammer. It's a much more slow burn. It, it's never actually paid off, at least in this film. It might have been later if Guy Ritchie had been allowed to make more movies. But it, it kind of actually treats it like two characters who are on this dangerous mission together. They they first don't like each other, but they kind of become, come to respect each other, and you can see where that could develop into a romance later on. But they don't force it on this film, and I, I respect it a lot for not going there. Yeah, the way she interacts with the the two of them, especially Army Hammer's character, it does feel very natural and organic. It you never get that one scene where it's like, okay, this was a scene in which the movie wanted to tell us that you know this is going to be a thing. It develops the way I feel like it it develops in real life, and it. Just, just to talk about what you were saying with the fact that she could have easily gotten lost in the in the the style of the movie and the plot and especially between these two characters, but it's she she for one she's an amazing actress. She was fantastic in Ex Machina, and what's crazy is she plays two completely different characters. Here she's she has her own really cool sense of swagger, like she's she doesn't feel intimidated by these two characters. But it's never annoying. It's never like, oh, I can, I can play with the guys. I'm cool. It's she is, and she doesn't have to say it, and she doesn't have to wink at the camera. Just the way her like physical demeanor and the, her delivery of her lines. She is a cool character, and she knows she's cool. But the movie doesn't have to keep reminding you. It just allows her to interact with them in a way that makes her character, I think, really likable. Mm-hmm. I, I just love the scene where she gets drunk and just starts dancing in the background as Army Hammer's playing chess. And just how it plays out with just how pathetically awkward Army Hammer is as a person. <laughs> and then I'm not gonna, I'm just going to call him Army Hammer because I can never pronounce whatever his Russian name is, or or I could call him Red Peril like a like a Napoleon does. But um, just the way it, that scene develops, and then like. The kindness and respect that Hammer treats her with, even as she's like slapping him in the face, and you can tell he's like he's like trying to hold down his anger. It's it's, it's like kind of adorable. Yeah, this, you know, I that scene to me easily could have been filmed in a way that made it almost unnecessary to the plot. But I think what it, it it's a really good scene that really shows who these characters are. It isolates them from, I guess, like the main plot and. It shows us a scene in which there's really nothing to do to advance the the story. Nothing's going on at the moment, but it just 
we get to see the way they two or the two of them treat each other and how different their personalities are and yet you know, the the way they do end up coming together it's just it's really fun it's just a fun scene to watch <laughs> just back to the uh, the dynamic between uh, Cavill and uh, Hammer is just I love how Henry Cavill just calls him peril throughout and uh, Hammer calls him cowboy just <laughs> when they're on the mission like when they go infiltrate the uh the base and they're just like casually insulting each other the whole time comparing their toys it's like sharpened with a, what was it a uh, co2 laser they're like what is that the co2 laser <laughs> i said it to me it's really funny that the movie manages to like to just consistently make lighthearted jokes during like this cold war era where they're you know, you you understand the movie doesn't like miss or um, inaccurately portray, you know, the time, I don't think. But it just kind of uses it as a way to just have these two characters use all of this tension between the two countries they're from and use it in a, a playful, funny way. There's it To me, it's <laughs> impressive that it's never like, really? That, I don't know, it could have, in the wrong hands, I think it could have come off in a really weird way. But I just, I think he uses the era to a really great comedic effect. Yeah, I I like how it, it never goes for the unnecessary suspense. It doesn't need to. Like, that that scene, they could have played that infiltration scene for suspense, but instead they played it to allow us to get to know these characters better and to, like, have them slowly and grudgingly come to respect each other. And th- this brings me to the score. Um, this score is phenomenal. I think I've been listening to it over the last week, and I think it might be in, in my top ten. It's it, it's funny because it doesn't even sound like a score. It sounds like they found existing music and kind of just fit it and just copy pasted it over the film. But I say that in the best way because I have a hard, as I said, I have a hard time believing that Guy Ritchie shot this film when not listening to that score. It feels like he was listening to the score as he was shooting the film. That's how perfectly it matches. But it also when it it'll occasionally like go over like raise the volume up and go over the dialogue and it it just fits the tone like if the tone of the film is getting darker the score will like come up and drown out all of their sounds and it, it sounds like it would be irritating but it's not guy Ritchie's visual direction lets you know exactly what's happening in the scene but the uh the score is like is like the emotional heartbeat of the film in a way that i i, I haven't seen in a lot of films and is and on its own, it's just so vibrant and full of life. Just this, these strings and percussion and like the the flute music, all of it just comes together to make this just beautiful. I I would I would just I would call it a character within the film. It's the one that immediately set uh, brings you in and sets up the tone and and just the style of what this film is. And it it just is it's consistently great throughout. Every scene is made. 10 times better by this fantastic score that's just pounding it. It'll drive the action, then it'll kind of lag behind and then go up over it in a way that just feels so natural and, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not musically, I'm not very musically inclined, so it's hard to put it into words, but it's really lovely. Yeah, to, to me, uh, I haven't actually listened to it outside of the movie, but it's used incredibly well in the movie. I think, really, the, the main purpose of music and film is is to enhance whatever the film is trying to say. So if a scene is emotional, the, the music's job is to help facilitate that emotion and to encourage that. And the music in this does that every time. Whenever it's supposed to be fun and energetic, it, it feels that. Whenever, like you said, it gets darker or more serious, it, it starts to change like that. And I think one of the most impressive aspects about the music is the fact that I feel like it, the between from start to finish, there's just a lot of variety and yet it all works together really cohesively. Like, it it doesn't sound like just a random track list he's used. Like, oh, okay, I need an upbeat track, so I'll use it here. They're all different from each other, but they all feel like they belong in the same story. And they, they mm-hmm. all work together to help tell the story that Richie's telling. Yeah, go, go check out the tracks uh, Escape from East, East Berlin. And then, I forget the one, the one that plays over the uh, car chase in the end where they're going over the mountain, which is an incredible scene. I'm just going to talk about that car chase. It's just, I love how well Guy Ritchie establishes the geography where he'll constantly zoom out and zoom over to where the other person is and zoom out again. And so you know exactly where each person is on every step of this car chase. But it's also shot in such an 
energetic way that just drives. It feels like, I mean, it, it feels like you experience every bit of that, the speed and energy and kind of desperation that's in that scene. And I love it's the score during that period is like entirely percussion driven is it with like these very, uh, these really cool vocals, like, uh, like rise up occasionally at just like bizarre intervals, but it all very Led Zeppelin like, yeah, what sounds like. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then like the moment where he comes to the lake or the, whatever, where it's flooded over and the Jeep drives over and he kind of stops, the music stops with him and like, it's completely silent. All you hear is the engine noises. He pulls back and then goes and like hydroplanes over the whole lake and then the music just like bursts out again it's 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 just exhilarating yeah to me there's so many different isolated scenes that i could talk forever about um like with the uh the scene that you mentioned earlier when uh henry cavill is eating the lunch as he just as this whole little action sequence kind of happens that he's just it's unfolding him as he enjoys this nice meal I think it's probably like the guy richiest scene ever. <laughs> um, but it's there's so many memorable like start to finish scenes and I think that car chase is one of them. And what that car chase did for me was I don't, I don't think I really realize how much I want to see something until I actually do see it and then I start to, I'll, I'll look at other other examples and be like okay yeah that that's why this doesn't work quite as well for me. But how how willing he was to show the geography and where everybody was and the goal they're trying to get to and the way everything's working it it feels like there's a cohesiveness to that scene like there's there's a reason it's happening it's it's not this random piece of road that they're on and it's the roads as long as the scene needs them to be you see where they're trying to get and it's just seeing them get there is what's fun i have some mild issues with I think Guy Ritchie is he's not very good at showing hand to hand combat unless he's like analyzing it in the Sherlock Holmes films. There are there are like three hand to hand combat scenes and all of them are kind of choppily edited. They're not great, but um in the the final scene after they all crash, it just the whole film takes an odd turn. I guess it's one of my dislikes, so I'll just get over it now. And it's a very stunning scene. The whole thing is shot with like they've like turned up the shutter speed and so there's like this really crisp imagery with but it also causes the uh the movement to feel a little jerky it's uh, the same technique that spielberg used for the uh, opening to saving private ryan and the scene all of a sudden gets like really serious like all of a sudden like everybody is like fighting for their lives and the sound like the the, the sound is all muffled and we get like these it's shot in, like these really dramatic flashes of like the close-up on the eye and it's it's a really striking scene i always remember it but it just feels a little out of tone with the rest of the film like all of a sudden the film just decided to get really serious for a while and then it, once the scene's over it's back to its lighthearted itself it's a fantastic scene but it just feels slightly out of place in a film that is so confident and sure of its tone it just strikes me as odd did, did, did that feel that way to you a little I, th- I think the thing that i noticed the most about it was that we've seen these two characters like in situations before where their lives were essentially on the line and it was it could have been serious but they're cracking jokes and they're you know it never loses its lighthearted nature within that and so to me i can't help but just feel like what changed now <laughs> like i feel like you as a character an hour ago wouldn't have this wouldn't have been as serious and you know obviously just because it's a movie it's because this is the climax but when you actually think about the their characters you know this is not the climax of a movie for them they're people so it is weird that they kind of start acting differently and then the movie starts filming it differently yeah it would have been like a fantastic end to like a Bourne's film or something the weird thing is like the character they're fighting is like not even a secondary character. He's like a third or fourth tier character that we've only seen a couple times. And he's never, and he hasn't done anything particularly bad to them. Like the moment where uh, Army Hammer stabs him is like this triumphant moment. But it's just like, okay, I didn't really care about that guy. He wasn't all that much of a threat anyway. Okay, you've killed people Whatever. his level before. And this is like, this is like the most tiniest level of nitpicking. But since we were there, I just thought I'd mention it and just get that just like out of the way. I'm I'm glad that you did mention that negative because honestly, other, I, while I do kind of agree, 
because the the scene is so well done, I've never really considered that a negative. Yeah, I barely do either, but it's just I had I have to say something. <laughs> See, that's that's why I'm glad because really, I I really don't have anything negative to say about the movie. I only I could only speak more positively about it. But one of the, one of the positives, the one of the other positives that I had was I thought about uh, about it just because we were bringing up action the car chases, the car chase at the very beginning. Uh, whenever uh, Army Hammer is chasing them, that's a great scene in and of itself. Oh, I yeah. think you know with with a lot of his uh, with a lot of Richie's earlier films, a lot of them are very character focused. And while they do have some action scenes, it he's never really been able to like flex his action director muscles before. But here he has the Sherlock Holmes films. Yeah, he he definitely gets more in that. Um, but to me, as much as I really, I actually love both of those movies, uh, but here, the action feels a little bit different here, almost even more stylized, I guess, other than Sherlock's, you know, his, like, hand, hand-to-hand fight scenes, uh, but here, like, the way the camera pulls out of the car is just racing down, like, these, you know, streets, it, it looks so visually cool, like, you can almost pause it and it looks almost like a, a comic book panel. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're so visually sleek and interesting, and they're also really consistently easy to follow. Like with that, the way he uses camera, you're never lost in the action. He's always clearly showing what's going on. Part of that is just because what's going on is so cool, and he's so confident in it that why wouldn't you want to show show the audience what all of this looks like and put it all in perspective? And it has a really great pacing, just kind of the ebb and flow of this look. Especially once they lose each other in the cat and mouse game, where they're kind of going around, and where like our, uh, K- Cavill steps out, and you get the shadow across half his face as he fires up. You see how clever these two people are. They just how they're the perfect match for each other, and this the scene it, it just kind of ebbs and flows and just moves really well through both kind of the the, the really high octane moments and then the kind of the quiet, uh, more subtle stuff. It's just a really memorable scene. Yeah, and something else that he does in these scenes is a lot of times in action movies, it almost feels like the movie forgets that it's about characters, but this movie never does. Like we, in the middle of chases, we have like just quips and one-liners from these two amazing actors, and and like you said, the the line we mentioned earlier, like mid chase. And he, he's grabbing onto the car and he's following behind him and he's told the shooter, he's like, it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Like, the movie's <laughs> always funny and always character-focused, even in action scenes. Uh, yeah. So just it's start to finish, it's all always enjoyable to watch, not just because the action's cool, but because we're seeing the action take place with characters in it that the movie still cares about. Mm-hmm. And I love just, like, the total incredulity in his voice. just like, just what am I looking at? <laughs> and I love how afterwards when he's reporting to Jared Harris, he's like, he keeps referring to him as it. He's like, what was waiting for me was barely even human. He pulled the back off my car. But he he's not like, he never loses his sense of like who he is as the character. Like, he pulled the back off my, he, his delivery <laughs> is always on point, but it, uh, admit, it's honestly, I feel like just watching it again. Yeah. I feel like just quoting the film for this entire review. Only I, c- I can never match their beautiful voices. <laughs> and as we said, I, I, going back to what I think people didn't like about the film is a lot of them talked about how the plot was just so simple and straightforward. And I think I, I think that's a positive because spy films have kind of become reliant, I think overly reliant, on twists and turns and betrayals and upsets. And as I just mentioned earlier with the film Ronin, like if a film is completely reliant on that, it it just I think it just feel first of all it makes the film confusing and often you know, like on second viewings you it creates plot holes. The more twists you have, the you open yourself wide open for plot holes. And I think this film has actually a very tight focused narrative that I, I I'm pretty sure holds up very well to scrutiny. Um, but it does have twists, and when the twist comes, I feel like they are earned. Like uh, when uh, Gabby betrays them, that's a fantastic twist. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that, and it, but then. Thinking back, it makes sense, and just how that goes. And I, I love how just how like, like each character kind of has their own motivations, and and then how they go about it, or like when they're told to, 
they ha- still have to kill each other and just how that plays out. Um, I think it has the twist it needs and it doesn't overdo it. It doesn't have more than it needs. It just has the pr- the precise right amount for the story it's telling. And I think that's better because it, it makes it hold up so much better on rewatches than a lot of other spy films. I, was gonna say, I think the the fact that it's a little more simplistic, I definitely view as a positive because that's actually a criticism of mine of a lot of these spy films is that there's almost this expectation that, you know, every 30 minutes we've got to throw another, you know, something, something else has to go wrong. Someone else has to betray someone else. Uh, this organization that you thought was the bad guy is really good guy, just consistently trying to change things. And it almost gets confusing as a viewer to think, okay, okay, at this point in the movie, who am I supposed to be rooting for? What's the, what's going on? What what's even the purpose of this mission? Uh, like I I I love Casino Royale and Skyfall, but with Quantum of Solace and Spectre, to me those the, these plot the, the reason that those I think are considered poor films is because they tried to do what oftentimes I feel like spy films do, which is just needlessly convolute a plot that really could just be told straightforward and be better for it. There's there's no reason that we can't just feel like we understand what's going on in the movie and and follow it just for the sake of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they make up for boring characters or uninteresting action or just a lack of style with those things. And this film has so much style and it has the great characters that you like just existing with that it doesn't need to do that. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to hide anything with twist. It's confident in the story it has. So it doesn't have to say, well, if this is boring, then what if I do this? And then we'll do It's like, no, this is the story. These are the characters. And it, it's it's content to its betterment to just be that. Mm-hmm. And a couple more cast members I want to mention. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is like the perfect femme fatale. Just she I think she was only like 23 when they shot this film. But she brings with her such a sense of like worldliness and just she just walks around like she owns everything and she has like such so she brings so much confidence and just a sense of style everywhere with her it's pretty incredible for how young she was yeah and a lot of these these movies i feel like they have unless you're like a bond villain they have kind of forgettable antagonists but she was like bond villain level like she she had such a sense of like fun confidence the way like like you said she almost she carried herself with like this this mature sense of um self-assurance i i I did not know she was 23 i would have guessed she was like mid-30s not because she looks like look at it she looks beautiful but just because of the 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 level of composure she carries around and weight she carries around on screen and it's a she's a villain that i care about them stopping it's because she's a character i'm the the mo- most movies ought ought to want you to root against their villain, and to do that you have to actually consider the villain a character, and there has to be their own like their own unique personalities. And so you know as we're we're getting towards the end and they're on the ships and she's getting away, like I care about what's going on because I've I've done what the movie wants me to do and invest my own care into this character. And uh, and it, it to me it's all just because of how how she carries herself and in combination with Richie's writing and directing. Mm-hmm. And she gets to have you know the charm, but also play the the pure evil as well. And I think she does both, and it was it was good seeing that she's still getting work with the uh, like she had a, had a fairly sizable role in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two, which she reviewed last week. I mean, an unfortunately sizable role given the story, but she she was really good. Yeah, she's she's always even in that even when it, I mean not to turn this into a mini guardians episode, but even though I had complaints about her character and the like the continued presence of that entire army, she's still a fun character in the movie itself and it's any sort of complaint I had about that has nothing to do with her her acting or the way she uh she played her character. Yeah, and uh last year I mentioned uh Hugh Grant he comes in the film late, but he, he also just is able to completely carve his place out. And this film already crowded with uh, huge personalities. I love when he's in the helicopter where uh, he's like, it's like, a very poor translation, but uh, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> he's having so much fun with this character that has a very tiny role, but he also, he's, just, he's so memorable in it. 
he could have been James Bond, I think. He 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 has all of this the swagger as well to play that kind of character. Yeah, I love how he shows up and the the movie is almost acting as if we already know who this character is. He's he I mean he introduces himself, but he's instantly in about five minutes, he already feels like a very important part of this movie. And he's like when I think about that movie, I think about him as a character as much as I think about everyone else, even though when you think about it in retrospect, he has all his screen time is really limited in comparison, but mm-hmm. he just, he has one. I think that I love that helicopter scene. Every line back and forth is just so entertaining for, for a special agent. You're not having a very special day, but just, he makes his presence so welcoming by being, by being able to match the amount of, charm and swagger that all of these actors have already been filling the movie for about you know an hour and a half at this point and uh, finally jared harris i think he kind of brings the the gloom and grit of the cold war with him he's the one that i guess you know establishes the tone that the world is in where these characters they don't live in they don't live in the cold war era but he kind of he's the one who sets it up and i love how he can completely control uh cavill's character and um he he does. I don't think I've ever seen him in a leading role. But every time I see him, he always impresses me with what he does with his limited screen time. He he was the villain in um, Sherlock Holmes too, right? Yes, it, and he's incredible. Yeah, he's to me. I I wish he would get more roles because he has a very unique look and the way he speaks. He he acts as if he is this big name actor, even though he's not in as much. Um, he, I I know him best. He was a uh, he was an 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 antagonist for a good a uh, good while in the show Fringe, which is fantastic. And in that, he's his own character, and he plays his parts differently than the others. In this kind of like what you said, he's he's a character that reminds us of the era, and maybe he's a little bit more accurate to like the way that people kind of reacted to what's going on. But he was still. He played it just enough, just slightly lighthearted enough to where he still fits in with this movie. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he, obviously, he's not; he doesn't have as much to do as a lot of the other characters, but he doesn't like let that stop him from really making the most out of all of his lines. Yeah, he would have been perfectly at home in like Bridge of Spies or something, but he still works complete, completely somehow in this movie. Yeah, and this one... The, it 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 does have sequel baiting in the end, but I think it is the most perfect kind. We love these characters so much that we were we are dying to see them again, and the way and the way it sets it up. We heard from the, the beginning of the film that each one of them is tasked to get this this uh, tape, and they're told to kill the other if necessary. And I, I like how when uh, Army Hammer is given that final line, his anger like it's been boiling under kind of finally breaks, and it's just this silent scene of him just ripping apart his hotel room, and. Speaking of that, I like how the film kind of give shows like a gauge his anger, whether you hear the kind of the pounding and it just kind of this, the volume slowly drowns out and it's, it's really effective. And I like how you once that happens, you really don't know what's going to happen. You, they, they might actually fight over and you don't want them to fight because you like them so much and you want them to you want them to like each other, too. And I love how it just it just builds and builds and builds, and then it just cuts to them having a drink with it burning in the uh, with them burning the disc. It's just so it's so fun. And then uh, Hugh Grant walks up and tells them they have another mission. And I love how each one reacts in their own way. Like Army Hammer swigs his drink. Uh, Henry Cavill looks kind of sick and puts his down. <laughs> and uh, Alicia Vikander just kind of stands there stunned, and then it, then it just freeze frames. It's just, it's so perfect and leaves you wanting a sequel so bad and it makes me so sad we're not getting one the first time i watched that you know i i love that scene because by the end of that movie i really really like these characters obviously and i was like oh sweet this is gonna be a franchise you know and and now it almost hurts watching that scene now knowing that it's probably never gonna happen and never get off the ground just because to me like sequel baiting i don't think is bad in of it in and of itself if if I enjoy a movie and I enjoyed its characters and the ending of the movie essentially tells me that there's more coming and it does it in a way that works, like, I get excited. And so at that scene, whenever, you know, 
you know, he presents them with the next mission, and you know that they all the everybody wants to get back together to make this next one. Yeah, it's just a shame it's never going to happen. Yeah, and, and it's good because the film is a full and complete story. It is totally on its own right. And the sequel baiting feels so natural. I mean, it's, of, of course Hugh Grant would go behind their backs and just call their agencies to, to get him on his side. He's, he's been playing them the whole time. So it just it works so well in context of the film, but it doesn't make up for a lack of story within the film. Yeah, I, I think that that's... That's probably the most annoying way a movie does sequel baiting in which you essentially need a sequel in, in order for the story to uh, that they told in the first one to be complete. The only time I'm okay with that is whenever it's like the sequel is so sure that it's essentially already happening. like Or, or whenever the, the movie is very apparent and honest from the beginning of this one that this is only the first part of a larger story like with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. But here, because we're never going to get a sequel, most likely, this movie still works on its own. And that so, even though I won't see these characters again, that's still a fun way to see them last. Because it essentially implies that they're going to continue working together. And it, it finishes the arc that, the, that was begun in the movie. And so, without a sequel, from start to finish, the whole movie still works. All right, uh, so I think it's about time to move into some dislikes. Did you have any others that you wanted to mention, or...? not real it's it's kind of hard for me the uh, there's another scene and i almost feel like this is kind of the exact same complaint that you had where it's 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 done well but it just almost feels slightly at odds with other things in the movie and that's whenever they have the guy strapped to the uh electric chair <laughs> it's i mean it's its own fun scene it just felt uh, the humor felt just a little darker than it had been beforehand. It it felt weird that we've been having so much fun in this movie at, up until this point, and now we've got one of our villains burned alive in the background, and it's just played for less. It's still funny, and I <laughs> I don't even really consider it a negative, but almost the same way that you mentioned the the fight scene, where it's in and of itself, it's done well. It just feels a little a little different than the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll talk about that scene too. <laughs> I love how just the atmosphere he creates. When he like turns off the lights and turns to the light bulb and starts swinging it, and just the shadows moving across as he's reading the book, and the music starts building up as he's electrocuting him. It's, it's it's a horrifying scene, but there's just so much atmosphere put into it. Um, and then <laughs> I know it's incredibly dark, but I love how it ends. <laughs> just to, the actor that plays Uncle Rudy is so fun. Like when they when they shock him the way he the way he screams <laughs> like his whole body lights up it's it's just so sadistic but it's it's hilarious and then when they they like give us a minute and he's like I'll be right here <laughs> and they're just talking as it's flickering in the background and then they look back it's like damn I think I left my coat in there. It's just, it's so, it's just such a perfect ending. I mean, the guy is so horrible, so I don't feel bad for him, but uh, it's 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 horrible yet uh, so funny and uh, stylish as, all, as well. Yeah, and honestly, I almost do bring that up just to have something even remotely negative to say, but I, I still enjoy the scene, and like you, it's, it's just terrible, it's, it's terrible that these two guys are just sitting back kind of like, musing as this guy burns alive but it's it's funny <laughs> and uh <laughs> it feel like it doesn't really feel disjointed maybe even in terms of tone because it's still they're still treating it with the light-hearted nature that the movie has and maybe that's that's what makes it kind of stand out to me is that the the movie's never really had to treat anything like that with its light-hearted tone so whenever it does treat this it's I don't know, it just it feels a little bit different. It, it's never been that kind of, that dark with its humor. But yeah. because it does make me laugh, it's still hard for me to actually complain about it. Yeah, but just six psychos over here. <laughs> uh, and I guess for my final dislike, again, this is like the most mild kind of nitpicking, is that this film is so fluffy and and so focused on just having fun that I think it loses its pace just a little bit. Like at the end of the third act, at the end of the second act, moving into the third act, like in between where she betrays them 
and then the island invasion. It just starts to drag just a little, since there really isn't much substance. I think that's fine, but it just it feels like it kind of loses its pace just a little, where it gets more dramatic, like where she's meeting her father and there's some real danger, and it loses a bit of its style. And then it comes back with all the style in the world in that wonderful split-screen island invasion scene. But just for us, like five or ten minutes, it feels like it just kind of, I get just ever so slightly bored. And then, and then after that, I'm completely fine again. And this is like, the, every film usually has moments like this. So it's, it's a tiny nitpick, but if I had to mention something. Yeah, I, I think the movie maybe could have been like 10 minutes shorter, um, if that. But I, it's weird because it does kind of get to a moment to where you're like, okay, is this the climax? Or is this like kind of, is this just the beginning of the third act? And now it, it's kind of hard to gauge where the movie's at when it kind of, when it gets to that point. Um, but I still like all of the characters on screen. So like you said, it's it's just enough to, I guess, be worth mentioning. But it's still, it's still nothing that I would still like. I w- I would never bring it up on any like format other than this, where we kind of have to talk about something negative. <laughs> and uh, I guess one thing I didn't mention earlier, I don't think I mentioned, is the uh, one of the classic Guy Ritchieisms is how how he uses flashbacks throughout the film. Like they'll show show a scene, show it one way. And then a couple minutes later, when something something crazy happens, they'll kind of flash back to how it was kind of different than we saw before. And I think it could get annoying if, if they weren't so... I think they're used fairly sparingly, but also they're all so fun and they kind of... They do play a part. Like, and then I like how it all comes back together in the end for that last scene where he's on the phone and she's like threatening him and his family and his dog and everything. And then he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. There's a bomb headed for you right now. <laughs> And then it flashes back, then it shows the bomb, just psh, the whole ship just blows up. It's just, it work, It just comes together so well, and it's such a great moment, because you hate this character so much. It's a perfect ending to the to the, uh, to the threat of the film. It's so satisfying, too, as you, <laughs> as you realize that, uh, that he, he was finally one step ahead of her, and you just, you're able to take that in. It's a, it's a great finish to the, to the main plot, but... Mm-hmm. It's it's used it's not used like few enough times to where it feels weird when it is in it and it's not used too much to where it just feels like it's it's just being used as a crutch like oh I guess I'll just use this to tell this story element. It's used just the amount the right amount of times and they're always whenever he does use that kind of storytelling it's always so stylish that it's it's always a plus and never a negative. It's always interesting and fun to watch especially with that instance. Mm-hmm. And what he builds to is always worth showing like showing us in this way like that with the the climax of that moment was the climax of essentially the movie and so it's worth seeing it seeing these scenes again Mm -hmm. and i I love how just how much personality there's on screen like there's all these like visual gags going on in the background like the scene where he before he's drugged when he goes and visits uh the uh, elizabeth the bickey's character and in the background, we see the like it's never even focused on, but just out the window, we see them pulling the truck out of the lake that he drove in last night. <laughs> or, I don't even think I noticed that. Yeah, or or also involving the truck where he's there just eating, listening to this beautiful music, and we just see the the boats going back and forth with the machine guns firing, and it comes back and it's on fire, and then it blows up. It's just there's always something going on. The film is just so engaging to watch. It just between the score, the visual direction, the performances, it's always just bringing you in. It never disconnects you. It just it, it makes you it makes you a participant in everything that's happening because there's always something cool to look at. All right, uh, anything else you want to mention, or are you ready to move into your final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I could just talk about how much I like this movie for a while. So I, <laughs> gu- I guess it's about time to wrap up. Oh, just one last thing. I, I love how it. It uh, kind of upsets certain genre tropes. Like when she does drug him, instead of making it this really scary scene, he just like sets out of bed and calmly lays down. He's like, I've been here before. Last time I fell rather badly and hurt my head. His his acceptance of it is just so funny. Yeah, he's never he's never scared. He knows exactly what's happening. He's always in complete control of himself. This... uh quiet uh, resilience he greets everything in the world with is so much fun to watch all right i i I think i'm ready to move into our final thoughts you want to start 
Yeah, so uh, I wasn't able to see this in the theater, but a lot of my friends did, and they all were really positive about it. So one of my friends, he bought it, and we watched it together, and I just, I really, really liked it. So then I showed my family, and they really liked it, and then they they all bought it. And um, to me, that's that's because this movie from start to finish is just a fun movie to watch. It has great characters, great action. It's stylistic. It has a lot of personality. It's just an enjoyable movie. Uh, everybody's having so... To me, I think whenever actors have fun in their parts, it's hard to not take notice of that as a viewer. So we're just seeing these people enjoying playing these different parts, giving these characters so much personality. This, the plot is easy to follow. It's, it's, it's just a great way to spend two hours. And to me, I, I it's so easy for me to recommend this movie. Yeah, I, I did get to see it in theaters, but I didn't see it again until we uh, picked it for this film. And I was almost kind of wondering, is it really not that great? I don't know. The, the critical reception was so lackluster that I kind of was almost questioning the, the great experience I had in the theater. But then watching it again, I watched it twice this week. And yeah, I this is a, this is a great movie. It A film that, has no pretensions about being serious or being meaningful that knows exactly what it is and knows exactly how to get every single moment across, whether it's a serious, scary moment, a betrayal, uh, just a fun, quippy banter or a great action scene. Everything is exactly what it means, needs to be. No more, no less. And to be able to maintain that kind of tone across an entire film is is insane. I can't the only other film that I can think of that maybe is that is so self-assured is maybe like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. But you you just don't see movies that are this perfectly in tune with exactly what they are all that often. And just the characters, every every performance is fantastic. The villain is the villain is memorable, and she's she also is able to stand out in this explosion of chemistry. And Guy Ritchie's direction is perfect. I honestly don't know what film the critics saw that uh, I don't see how you can like movies and what movies do for you and not absolutely like love or at least like this movie. This is this is what movies this is what movies are made of. I mean it's so frustrating. <laughs> There's just so much personality and fun to be had. I feel like you're just gonna be dead inside to not like it. It's just it's just a fun I don't know. It's weird. Like you said, a, there was just a collective bad day that they had that day. <laughs> yeah and um oh yeah the soundtrack if you like this movie go buy the soundtrack it is amazing it it completely exists on its own separate from the film it also works perfectly with the film daniel pemberton is really going places i mean he's only done like maybe like five uh mainstream films but uh just the amount of confidence he brought in just with the, with this score is pretty stunning all right, I think we have to wrap up. I could just go on raving about this movie and quoting it forever. So that was our review for The Man from UNCLE. If you haven't watched it and you listened to all this, go watch it. Please do yourself a favor. And if you haven't seen it forever, go watch it again. It's, it's, some, it's a film you can just sit down and watch any time if you just want to have a good time for two hours. So uh, next week uh, will be your pick, James. What are you, what are you looking at next week? So we're going to watch a movie that if you've listened to previous episodes, you've probably heard us talk about before, which is A Monster Calls. Uh, I think that enough time has has passed since its release, and this movie made almost nothing. <laughs> like so yeah. few people saw this, and it is such a great movie. Um, so I I'm excited about the chance to get to talk about why I love it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, please go watch this movie. Um, and bring tissues. Definitely bring lots and lots of tissues. But it, it it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean. I, I'm gonna. I rented it when it first came out. I'm about to buy it. I think uh, the people I showed it went out and bought it. I just want. I want them to know that this movie still had some people who were willing to pay money for it because, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just. I really love it. All right. Uh, so if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd like to ask you to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. It would be so helpful for us. We would really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. And if you want to find older episodes, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. We also have email. If you want to email us, we are theunderratedpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. So until we see you next week with a much different movie, uh, <laughs> we will see you later. See ya.
took you so long. It is time for me to tell you the first tale. I don't need a tale. I need a bus ticket for my grandma. It is time for me to tell you the... Where do you think you're going? I will be listened to. I am as old as this land, and I will... What do you know about anything? I know everything about you, Connor O'Malley. No, you don't. If you did, you know I don't have time to listen to stupid stories or stupid tree that is just a dream. A dream? <clears throat> what is a dream, Connor O'Malley? And who is to say that it is not everything else that is a dream?